Welcome to the Best Ever You Network, celebrating our third year on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Thank you for helping us become a number one rated live show with over one million global listeners. Our team is on a mission to help you discover your authentic best self and bring it to the world. And now, here's our show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Best Ever You Show. I am one of your co-hosts, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Hello, hello. And hey there, I'm the other co-host, uh, Dr. Walter Jacobson. And we've got we're we're rehearsing that more. <laughs> I think we're going to call each other back and forth and go, "Hi, I'm your host." That's <laughs> uh, all good. Anyway, we're we're here to make you laugh today, but we're also here to really inform you. We've got a great guest with us. We've got Dr. Will. Tuttle with us, and before we bring him on, um, Dr. Walter and I usually give a chat about our own books first, um, just to just to make you aware of our topics um, that we're experts in. And you, Dr. Walter, do you want to start because you've written this great yeah, book? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, no, it's kind of an interesting uh, segue with our guest because his book is the World Peace Diet, and my book is Forgive to Win, but it has a forgiveness diet. And the idea being that forgiveness is a very important regimen that everybody should undertake and the idea of forgive the wind is basically when you forgive others and love others and are service to others you end up really forgiving loving and being of service to yourself and positive things happen in your life that's really the short form people should check it out they go to my website they can kind of read a little bit about it and see if it might be something they want to get into yeah and i need that like um chat that one minute quick chat about percolate mine goes on and on and on but my book is called percolate let your best self filter through it was published by hay house about a year ago it's coming up on its year anniversary and uh, it's got a nine point plan in it to help you be your best and live your best life and i like it um that we're talking about world peace diet this ultimately helps you learn to percolate peace um so my my website is percolatebook.com and you can go there and when you buy the book you get uh, four free gifts and all that good stuff. So um yeah, I'm really interested in all that will um has to to share and offer it should be just a gr- another great show. I know um you were mentioning um we were talking before we went on the air about this uh, Apple Watch and these Fitbits and all these all these things we're we're talking a lot about that in best ever you right now because of our our healthy you fitness challenge and uh, yeah. most everybody has something on their wrist to track but what were you saying before we went on well yeah you know uh one thing about the apple it, it seems like a lot of times they're just they, they seem to want to just generate products and versions of products and products and products you know and there's like a market of people who will just scoop it up but this iWatch seemed like to, at first to me to be just another example of a, of a shifting technology giving people this a different platform for the same stuff but then i realized and i as i read about it that they do have this they're integrating these health uh, components that uh, that Fitbit uses, where you have it on your on your uh, wrist, and you can measure blood pressure and heart rate, and and they, you get into what your blood sugar is and your calories and how many steps you're taking, wow. and all these are are important aspects for some people to help discipline them to you know to get well and to be fit. So it, it perhaps has a, a much better purpose and use than simply an extension of the iPhone. Yeah, I'm I'm I don't have one of those yet. I've got I've got the Fitbit. And I absolutely love the Fitbit, and I love the app that goes with it on my phone. I am just a diehard Fitbit Fitbit fan. Um, if if nothing more than just to kind of keep that awareness going with you all day long, um, if you're if you're forgetful about moving or sitting too much or what you're eating, and um, this mind tracks sleep, it tracks 
steps. It tracks what you eat and calories and and um, just it's very helpful. I think anyway, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, you know, I think you're right about it. What it does is really it helps people to stay focused uh, and stay uh, disciplined and, and stay on purpose uh, to keep in, in the forefront of their mind like uh, what they feel is important, in this case health. And uh, so, yeah, I think any kind of tool that people, people can use to remind themselves of the, of the best way to behave is really important. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, and I- I absolutely loved our show on Tuesday with Dr. Pam Popper so much that I signed up for her course to become certified in food over medicine. And um, we, I, I, think, I think these two shows that we're doing this week sort of go hand in hand with everything that she's, she was talking about and everything that Dr. – well, maybe not everything, but you know, they, they're certainly complementary to one another. But um, Dr. Will uh, Tuttle, who we're going to bring on in a minute here, he's been a vegan since 1980. And Pam was talking that she hasn't had a medical claim against her since the mid-'90s, and she's vegan and all these things. And, and um, just a, a kind of – for some people, it might be an entirely new way of thinking when they hear our shows this week. Well, yeah, I, I think that yeah, the uh, from Pam uh, from being uh, making a choice of vegan uh, is uh, is one thing, and and but Will Tuttle's going to talk about that. It's it's a much larger issue. Being vegan isn't simply just you know you're going to live longer and maybe not need medications. This is about a whole consciousness of life, of existence, of connection to the planet, to animals, to plants, to, to everything, to, war, to ultimately to world peace. So I, I say let's, let's bring him on, introduce him now and yeah. bring him on and let, let's get going. Awesome. Yeah, he's, Dr. Will Tuttle is the, num- is a, is the author of the number one uh, best-selling book, The World Peace Diet. It's number one on Amazon. And he's the recipient of the Curl- Courage, I can talk today, I promise, the Courage of Conscious <laughs> Award and the Empty Cages Award. And um, he's got a newly released book. He's the editor of it called Circles of Compassion. So, Dr. Will, hello, hello. How are you? Oh, hi. Great to hear both of you, Elizabeth and Walter. Thanks for having me on your show. Welcome. Yeah, we're we're honored. Yeah, you know, let's let's kind of get to it. Uh, maybe uh, as the first question is, tell tell us about the World Peace Diet. Like exactly, you know, what is it? What does it mean? What's what's the main message? Thanks. Well, you know, you both have been talking about health and the importance of that, and uh, I think that's really it's basically looking at health from a larger perspective than just physical health, which, of course, physical health is important, but I think we all know at a deeper level we didn't incarnate on this planet just to be healthy. We have a purpose for living here. And so, and, and the purpose of living is to awaken our potential and to contribute to making uh, a, a more harmonious world and to contribute our unique gifts that we all have in doing that. And so I, I look at not just uh, physical health, but also spiritual health, psychological health, environmental health, and cultural health, and how essentially our culture's routine mistreatment of animals for food and other products uh, is a very deep cultural program, and it's uh, something we would rather not think about. It's, in many ways, it's kind of a taboo even to discuss it, so I just want to applaud you for uh, being willing to discuss this somewhat taboo subject. But the uh, the idea is that uh, through the research, you know, I've been a vegan, as you said, for uh, 35 years now. Uh, animal agriculture is not only the most devastating thing we're actually doing to the outer world. Uh, the three main parts of the outer world, I would say, are our Earth, you know, the ecosystems here, our culture, where we're living, our society, and our physical health, but also 
Animal agriculture is the most devastating thing uh, to the inner landscape of our consciousness because it shuts down our natural wisdom and intelligence and compassion. And we're all injected from the time we're little kids with a program when we, when we sit around the table and eat meat, dairy products, and eggs. We're forced essentially to just disconnect from what we're doing. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to, no one wants to really discuss this. We don't want to be aware. So we learn essentially to be disconnected uh, from what we're doing and who we are and the benevolence of this, of this universe. And um, we also, uh, unfortunately, uh, become uh, exclusive in our concern. We don't care, really. We don't broaden our, our circle of caring because every day if we're eating meat, dairy products, and eggs, we're essentially saying, no, 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 we can't care about others. And it's also a, a repression of the sacred feminine, uh, which I refer to in the World Peace Diet as Sophia, because animal agriculture really is based on dominating female animals primarily. And uh, it's also uh, a mentality of privilege and elitism because, again, the subtext of every meal is certain beings are superior, other beings are inferior, and it's fine for the superior beings to dominate and exploit the inferior beings. So this whole mentality of might makes right uh, and entitlement. And all of these things essentially make it very difficult for us as human beings to actually deal effectively with the huge problems we're creating. So I think we, if we want to look at health, we have to look far deeper and we've been looking, and uh, the beauty, of course, of the whole message is that as we awaken and realize that we've all been uh, forced to participate in these mealtime rituals since we were little infants that reduce our intelligence and compassion as well as our actual health, uh, physical health, then we can begin to bring our lives into alignment with this understanding and move toward living a more kind and compassionate and healthy life, not only for ourselves, but really healthy for our society, for hungry people, and for slaughterhouse workers, for animals, for wildlife, for future generations, and we're all interconnected. That's the basic message. And as we do our best to help live our lives that, in a way to bless others, we will automatically be living a life that will bless ourselves as well. And that's the great, joyful, huge, incredibly um, transformative and empowering message I think that it's really time for our society to begin to awaken to that we can no longer afford, really, to be violent and uh, cover it all up to billions of animals as well as hungry people and so forth, all the the various beings that are harmed by eating animal-based foods. And when we stop doing that, we create the possibilities for radiant health on every level. To somebody new who might be listening to this show starting out on their on their self-help journey. Um, right. This might be a lot um, where yeah, people are lot. just starting to, <laughs> right. to, yeah, you know, like we've got 12 yeah, people yeah. in a fitness challenge and they're eating dairy. You know, some of them are eating dairy still and, and all these yeah, things. Sure. So what what would be the turning point for somebody maybe who's eating dairy or eating meat or, or um, doing those things? to shift them in a right. different direction and make them more aware of what they're doing. What what words can we use to help people understand more why this is so important? Great. Yeah, I think the thing is, you know, first of all, it's not at all about feeling guilty or anything like that. It's just simply understanding that the more we understand what we're doing and the cultural program that's running here, the more we can move toward healthier choices for ourselves and for others. And any move we make towards 
a plant-based, I would say plant-based, organic, and, and whole foods way of eating, for example, um, is going to benefit us and the world, everyone. So to just move in that direction and, uh, you know, the, the, the ultimate, of course, in a sense, is to not be eating any foods or, or wearing also. The idea, of course, is not to wear products also that cause suffering to animals uh, as well or use them, but to just move in that direction. And when we do that, we just we really shrink our environmental footprint. We drastically reduce the toxins we're bringing into our body. Uh, we lighten up the uh, load of, um, of violence that we're causing to others. That we're, you know, we're, if I take out my wallet and pay for dairy or meat or something like that, I'm paying someone somewhere to do terrible things to animals. We cover it up in our society, but that's what's happening. So the whole idea is to just simply be aware of the repercussions of our actions, not just to ourselves and our physical health, but to the health of our society and other people. And when we do that, I think uh, the more we do that, the happier we will be. And I think that's a fundamental teaching. I realize that veganism is an ancient um, teaching. It's called ahimsa uh, in the in the world religions, which means nonviolence. The, the basic idea is that the surest way to happiness is to be nonviolent, and the surest way to unhappiness, essentially, is to harm others for my own benefit. When we harm others for our own benefit we create, not only do we harm them, we harm ourselves more, <laughs> actually, than we harm them, but we don't realize it very often. And being in a society that's based in many ways on self-interest, uh, we're taught in many ways to ignore this ancient spiritual teaching, but we do know it in the marrow of our bones that it's true. So essentially, it w- I would say the main thing would be just for people to educate themselves, to learn about the many benefits of eating uh, a, a diet that's based on fruits and vegetables and grains, legumes and, and whole, you know, whole foods that are unprocessed. It's absolutely delicious. I mean, for me, 35 years of being a vegan, I was a vegetarian for four years. So four, yeah, for five years, I've been a vegetarian, I guess, for 40 and a vegan for 35. I have not been to a doctor in, in uh, 40 years. I mean, it, you know, I haven't even been to a drugstore to get anything. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, if you want, if you really want to be, you know, have radiant health and just not be getting sick and not get any money <laughs> to, the, to the pharmaceutical medical industry. Uh, you know, I mean, I I, I don't haven't had health insurance either for 40 years. So the whole idea is that, um, from my point of view anyway, to, to just be healthy is our natural state. And to be happy is also our natural state. I mean, to have a sense of joy a sense of of wonder at the beauty of this incredibly abundant earth and the opportunity of a human life and to c- contribute the gifts that we have to give, um, that's the foundation of real health. It's, it's having a positive mental attitude and extending that in our actual way that we're living so that we're blessing others as much as we can and not harming them and not pretending not to know what we're doing. You know... Um you, you know, you uh, talk about motivation, and basically Elizabeth saying, how, "How do you start people on that path?" And what we're saying is, well, you got to kind of give them motivation to want uh, to change uh, what they're norm- what right. they're doing now in terms of their food choices. And one of the one of the motivations I'm thinking of is, well, people talk about caring about the children and wanting to create like right. a future for children. And uh, you know, so if we teach our kids at an early age the right foods to eat, right? If we teach, you know, we're, that that when we eat animals, we're destroying the environment. We're we're getting rid of the water and the and the rainforest, right? And when we eat animals, and I think this is one of your points too, it makes us callous about 
life in general, and that's why we want to then start fighting wars and taking stuff and not wanting to share. Is that right? Exactly. You see, these are very important points. And, of course, the, the, the difficulty in a sense is that we only have a, a sort of maybe an hour or, or whatever amount of time we have. The World Peace Diet is 13 and a half hours long, you know, as an audio book. And it's just fascinating to go into these ideas, Walter, in a deeper level. Not only does eating animal foods, you know, like you say, make us callous, it kind of you know, shuts down our sensitivity, but also historically, if you just go back eight or 10,000 years when we first started to own animals as property for food. We call it herding animals. It was in what is today Iraq, in, uh, the, in the middle, you know, the, the eastern Mediterranean. Uh, we see that from, it was out of that practice that several things developed. One was a, a, the emergence of a, of a very wealthy elite class. Another was the beginning of war. There had never been war before, but once people started owning animals as property for food, uh, and these were the wealth, the more the sheep, the more sheep and goats and, and cows that you owned, the wealthier you were. So this wealthy elite developed a get-rich-quick scheme that we called Gavia, which means the desire for more cows. That was the word for war, and would, and would attack each other to get, the, to get, to get wealth. Uh, and that's pretty much what's going on today. When the rich want to get richer, you know, they go to war. And uh, this, is a, this is essentially the, a pattern. It was also introducing... Uh, slavery. There had never been slavery before, but once you own animals, it's a small step to own human beings. And one of the things I've realized in my research over 30 years into the World Peace Diet and into the, these issues is that whatever we've done to animals, sooner or later we have also done it to human beings. So if we want to be free ourselves, we cannot be enslaving and imprisoning and microchipping animals we, and, and mutilating them and all these things that we do routinely and impregnating them against their will. You know, we need to, we have these same problems in our society because we're doing it on a massive scale to animals. I, I talk a lot about this principle, as you sow, so shall you reap. Whatever you put out will come back. And so historically, this is what we've done. We also created a very uh, patriarchal society that, that viewed women as mere objects to be used because we viewed female animals as mere breeders to be used for, for one's own uh, profit and gain. And so this, this whole mentality of domination of the feminine, of the domination of animals, domination of nature, of forcing young boys to uh, emulate a role model of the hard, tough, disconnected male capable of violence against animals, against rival herders, uh, capable of dominating women, and so forth. This became the, the, the role model, the macho male. It's based on animal agriculture. So if we want to be successful in creating a society of joy and freedom and abundance and equality and sustainability, we absolutely can do it. It's right. There's nothing stopping us. We live in a beautiful, abundant planet where we can easily live in harmony with each other and with all life here. We can feed everyone on a fraction of the land. If we would stop enslaving the land to vast monocropped fields of genetically engineered corn and soy and everything else to feed animals, which is incredibly wasteful, and devastating to the ecosystem more than anything we do. So there's nothing stopping us from creating a society of, of abundance and sustainability and freedom, except if we want to eat meat, dairy products, and eggs. It'll never be possible because not only is that the most devastating thing we do to the outer world, it shuts down, our, you know, as I say, our inner sensitivity, and historically it has been the force that has molded and created our society to be a society based on war and domination. And when we have the technology that we have today of nuclear weapons and, and everything else where we can cut down an acre of rainforest every single second, which is what we're doing right now, 
uh, and destroy the lungs of the earth and overfish the oceans and everything else to eat meat and dairy, we will not have a, a planet to leave for our children. So we should be very motivated to understand these things if we care at all about ourselves, our children, about anything at all, then we should, I, I think we would be drawn to make an effort to understand these things and to be part of the solution, as Gandhi said, rather than being part of the problem. Well said. Yeah, you know, um, Dr. Dr. Pam was saying last night in the class that we also have a tremendous amount of antibiotics going to treat all right. of the animals. I couldn't believe right. that. that. It was like a massive every, percentage. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember, you know, when we started first, I first started writing about this probably 20 years ago. It was 50/50. You know, 50% of the antibiotics used was to animals and 50% to humans. And I, everybody was outraged when they heard that 50% of the antibiotics is used by by animals. That's incredible. And then as the years go by, it, it inched up to 60%, 70%, 80%, 90%. I think it's now it's at 90% of all the antibiotics we're using. And so that has devastating effects on on every level because it, it creates antibiotic resistance and, and, and much in the, in the creation of superbugs that nothing will, the antibiotics are going to become useless. And that's the main weapon in the arsenal of our medical uh, apparatus, you know. So, yeah, that's it's all due to animal agriculture. I mean, it goes on and on. It's never-ending. Violence towards others breeds violence. It breeds misery, and it breeds disease and death, and we have got to wake up. It's time to wake up. That's the basic message. Yeah, you know, and so, you know, some people talk about, you know, when you're – uh, even vegans will say, you know, if I get invited to a party and they're having some turkey, I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to be a fanatic about this. I'll have some turkey or whatever. I'll have some meat here or there. I'll have an egg here or there. I'll have a treat of this or of some dairy, ice cream, this or that. You know, what's your take on that? Is it is it really like uh, if you do a little, you're still part of the problem? Uh, is it okay? What, what's the ideal What's the ideal diet and food? Uh, gluten or grain or meat? Some meat or not meat? What? Right. Well, those are great questions. You know, for me, I um, I I was raised eating a typical diet, right, in, in New England, in Concord, Massachusetts, actually, back in the 50s and early 60s, and I ate huge amounts of meat and dairy growing up, and uh, I had the usual kind of problems that kids have. I had an appendicitis and runny nose and earaches and sore throat and acne and all that. Uh, but I was, but I wasn't, I was, you know, more or less healthy. But when I had the chance, actually, when I was 22, I went on this kind of a spiritual pilgrimage right after college and lived at the farm in Tennessee, the farm in 1975, when I got there with the largest hippie commune in the world, and they were basically all vegetarians. And so I asked them why they were doing it, and I found out that they were uh, doing it out of uh, really noble motives of reducing hunger and compassion for animals. And so I never ate meat again in my life since that day in 1975 when this guy at the farm told me about what's going on. And because I was motivated, I think, when I found out that, because I really wanted to grow spiritually. I remember that was the big thing for me. And I wasn't, so I, I, I stopped eating meat, not for my health, but just out of, I just couldn't no longer take up my wallet and pay for someone to stab animals. And I love, I've always loved animals. And, you know, I had a, you know, we had a dog growing up. And so I just really... For me, that was the most important thing: is to not cause suffering to, to others. And uh, and then about five years later, when I was in California in 1980, I discovered the really learned more about the the terrible cruelty to dairy cows and to chickens for eggs and for for dairy products. And so I became a vegan. 
And so since that time, I have not eaten any dairy products or eggs or meat for you know the last 35 years. I have never been in a situation where someone tempted me to or wanted me to, or I just wouldn't do it. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to in any way support that because if I eat some of that something, then that you know, then someone is going to buy more on some level. And I and plus I want my life to stand for something. You know, it's I don't want to just. Uh, say, oh, shit, I'll, I'll eat a little bit of murder. I'll cause a little bit of terror, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna, as much as I can, I'm going to try not to do that. I mean, not only for my, I think for my own health, it's not a good idea to eat terror and, and death and so forth. But it's more as an example, I guess, and also just I would never want to in any way contribute to that. Uh, it's just repulsive to me. I mean, this guy at one point, I think, uh, a few years ago, he said, come on, Will, tell me, don't, don't you sometimes get a craving for a burger? And I remember I said to him, Russ, I think I have a craving for a burger about as much as I have a craving to take a bite out of your arm, you know, which is basically <laughs> zero. I don't have any, it's not, you know, the burger is not food, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not food. I mean, once, for me, once I became a vegan and I saw how delicious the food is, how it's much more actually nutritious and delicious and palatable and uh, more aesthetically pleasing on every single possible level, I realized that actually animal foods are essentially disgusting. We have to kind of cover the cover it up and use a lot of vegetable kind of things and lettuce and tomato and salt and this and that. But um, but you know we're we're they're essentially repulsive to us as human beings. We're not designed to eat them. You know cows eat huge amounts of meat. Most people don't realize that cows actually eat more fish than human beings do in the United States because scientists discovered a long time ago that if you enrich the feed of cows with fish meal, they give more milk and they fatten up faster. But cows are also not designed to eat meat, and and uh, but they do it if they're forced into it. If it's mixed in and they just have to, they have nothing else to eat. It's the same thing with us. I and mean, we'll do it. We can. Our bodies can adapt. Cows can adapt to, to meat. You know, it's not good for them. It makes them sick. It gives them E. coli which is devastating to our health, too. But it's okay because they're being exploited and we want to fatten them up as fast as possible. And anyone who's eating meat and dairy is only doing it because they're being exploited. They're, just, they're not eating it because it's in their interest. It's in the interest of the meat and dairy and, 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 uh, and the pharmaceutical medical complex. That's why we're eating meat and dairy, essentially. And also because, of course, it's, it's been passed down through the generations for the last eight or 10,000 years that this, we're supposed to do this. But we're not designed for that. And so why would I? You know, why would anyone want to give up their health? And the thing is, if I'm if I go to a family function or something, and I if I eat a little bit of meat and dairy, I mean that's the worst thing to do. I, I mean I, I'm telling everybody, well, go ahead and do it. You know, go ahead and, and destroy the right. rainforest. Go ahead and stab animals. I don't mind. I do mind. Those are my friends. I mean, I, I may not know the pig that's being killed, but I know I if I did know her, I would love her. I mean, she's a being with interests and with and who who yearns for her interest to be fulfilled and to live her life as much as I yearn to live my life. If I'm going to encourage people or not protest against their violence towards her, I mean, what, why, why am I on this planet? What's my purpose if I don't, if I don't honor uh, my purpose here? And my purpose here is not to increase suffering. It's to increase love and joy and freedom and caring and kindness and tenderness and mercy and, and the possibility to live the way we were intended to on this beautiful earth, not to destroy everything, which is what we're doing. So if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Dr. Will Tuttle. He's the author of The World Peace Diet. His websites are worldpeacediet.org, circleofcompassion.org, and willtuttle.com. That's W-I-L-L-T-U-T-T-L-E.com. Um, 
I think one of my questions is, I know as as I'm learning more and more and more, it's getting harder and harder to walk into the grocery store and be even remotely comfortable. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's quite an interesting right. thing going to the grocery store these days. Um, how do you address feeling like you're kind of alone in a crowd and, and don't know what to pick out in the grocery store and um, kind of that that feeling of like, well, what can I do to help change this? Right. That's really true, Elizabeth. It, you, you, you do get that feeling. I mean, I, I've had that feeling for a long time, going into a grocery store, uh, and I think that even though most people think it's full of food, for me there's virtually no food in there uh, to speak of. And so, um, so there is a sense, I guess, that's part of the th- that's part of the big challenge, I think, of, of sort of being willing to take on these understandings is that we become more and more. Uh, in a sense, somewhat of an outsider to our society in the sense that we're not just, you know, the average person goes down the street and says, oh, there's ah, McDonald's, Burger King, you know, kicking fried chicken, yum, 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 everything's great, you know. And But once we begin to really see what it is, we go, oh, no, there's more death and destruction. I don't have anything to do with that. And we feel maybe people um, are afraid on some level that they won't have their friends anymore, you know. And I, and, or they won't be able to go to a restaurant anymore and just order off the menu. And there's a great saying by Krishnamurti. He said, it's not a good idea to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. You know, and I think that kind of says it all. It's not a good idea to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And so we can feel uh, uncomfortable being um, a, a vegan in a sense, you know, just... You know, oh, I, I'm different than everybody. I, you know, I lost all my friends or whatever. But we can also celebrate it and be delighted that you know, at least I'm one person who's uh, I'm a revolution of one, you know, or an evolution of one. I'm helping. I'm planting seeds. I'm doing my best to live my life. And what we'll find, I think, typically is, um, as we if we do this wholeheartedly, we'll, we'll either our friends will change, or we'll get new friends, or or you know, we'll we'll just learn. I mean, we'll, we learn how to get along. And it, I, you know, I, I'm never in a situation, I haven't been in a situation for years where someone had asked me to eat meat with them or do something. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just not even probably imaginable. So, um, so, but I think, but I know in the beginning, you know, we, we're still finding our way and, and those things do happen. We find ourselves in awkward situations. But as time goes on, it just gets more and more easy. And the thing is, our whole society is changing. And there are more vegan restaurants. There are health food sections in the uh, grocery store. There are beautiful, you know, uh, more and more, at least, you know, I mean, I, I would say like whole foods, you know, it's for me it's somewhat disturbing to see so much meat in whole foods, but there are still uh, large areas of <laughs> a lot of health food stores where there's organic produce and grains and things, and uh, and we can grow our own food. You know, it's, it's wonderful to have a garden, support local local farmers markets, and and people growing their own food and creating our own food out with love. And I would say to focus more on the benefits. You know, there's a lot of benefits, but it does. But you're right. It, there is a sense of uh, you know almost like I have it. The sense like these two worlds are just. Created, being created right now. It's like this, almost like there's a split between the old world, which is violent and and and, and um, dominating and dying in many ways, thrashing about in death throes, and a new world of joy and health and love and, and uh, forgiveness and kindness, which is yearning to be born. And it's kind of like, well, which side do I want? Do I want the comfortable one that's thrashing around in its death throes, or do I want the dis- uncomfortable one that's full of life and joy and freedom and potential, but it is 
an adventure, but it is a taking more risks too. In, in a sense of yeah, you know, it's been it's kind of like drinking too. I've had a really long life of never drinking. Just since I was itty bitty, I just in high school and everything. I just you can uh-huh. ask anybody in my Facebook and all my friends from high school are in there. I just wasn't the drinker, and I never have been. I just something about it. I just am like that just isn't for me. And right. um, it was it was kind of cool in high school because everybody respected that and the, and they were fine with it, and I was just fine. Nobody picked on me or anything. But you realize as you get older and stuff, it's almost kind of like you have a social problem if you don't drink. It's it's very yeah. It's, you know what I mean. You well, get you know, it's hard I, to fit know, in thing, sometimes. I just you know I have never I did drink a little bit when I was in like first year in college I think I, I yeah, tried it out I mean, and I yeah. was like what a what a weird thing and I've never yeah. and so I've never drunk or done any drugs or anything you know since, either, since yeah. like the first two years in college I kind of experimented a little bit but I realized uh, and and then I, I went on more of a spiritual path but I'm just so delighted that I don't have the slightest interest in taking any uh, substances that would pollute or uh, my body or that would in some way impair this beautiful mind, this precious consciousness that we have. I want to protect that completely. I mean, I would never for a moment dream of that. So, I mean, people, I can't even imagine why anyone would want to do that. But, you know, uh, you know, the thing about what Elizabeth is raising about the, that you're, you kind of feel like a social outcast if you don't do all these so all these popular things like drinking and doing drugs and eating triple decker burgers uh, you know and <laughs> right. all all this kind of crap we are you're you're right there's a the majority of this world is like you know i don't know but 97% 95% is into this cycle of violence and and then there's a small bunch of us here who are trying to like change that and make people be more compassionate and more aware and so my question to you is okay we can make personal choices about our own food and our own family how can we be bigger activists in what you call the i guess the benevolent revolution how how can we be bigger at this well i think you and elizabeth are a perfect example you know you're not just privately going around eating healthy and not drinking and, and uh, being kind and forgiving and so forth, you are talking about this and putting it out there to interested people and the, and the circles grow, you know. I mean, what you're doing to me is it. It's, it's about education and, and being an example and living this and embodying it. I would say in one word it's to embody these teachings which are the ancient spiritual teachings that lead to, to happiness for everyone which are uh, kindness to oneself and to others, and so um, whatever way one can find to do this, we can we can educate, we can we can have a radio or television or blog, or we can just share with our friends, or make or do videos or music or art. My wife's an artist and paints, you know, animals celebrating their lives, and I think to find our unique way to bring this message to the world is the greatest gift we can give to the world. I do not think that we can bring this message to the world in a way that is not congruent with the message, which is radical inclusion and kindness. So, you know, getting angry and bombing a slaughterhouse or whatever is not the way. It's really we have to have the help contribute to the evolution of consciousness uh, to evolve toward uh, greater awareness and greater uh, sense of th- that there is one life living through all of us, and the more I bless others, the more I'll be blessed. And that's the basic thing. And 
there's enormous pressures on people. You're right to to um, to forget. And to uh, and, and when people are wounded, like we're wounded as kids growing up in the society, uh, very often we want to medicate, we want to just numb, we want to numb ourselves, we don't want to feel the pain, you know. So for me, I was lucky. I think when I was 22 years old, I left home, and I went, and I, when I left home, I left this whole culture. I, I left it behind. I'm not part of this world anymore, you know. I just I realize that on some level, I've never come back. I'm still living here in a sense, but I was a Zen monk in Korea for a while in a monastery, and I lived in meditation centers, and I have no illusions about trying to fit into this society. I mean, I'm not, I don't have, I don't want to fit into it. I mean, that's the worst thing. I, I, it's just to, to somehow be a light in the darkness, I think, is what we're all called to do in our own unique way, and I think when we do that, we'll, we'll create new friendships, you know, and new, new relationships that are beautiful. I mean, we'll find we'll find people that really resonate with us, and we'll create new um, ways of living together in, in, in harmony. And we won't be attracted anymore to being with people who want to numb themselves or dumb themselves down. We'll be with people. We'll find ourselves naturally attracted to new groups of of people who uh, thrive on joy and being outdoors and enjoying nature or whatever it is. You know. To, and I think that's it. I think friends and social relationships are incredibly important in, ter- in determining our consciousness. And a lot of research has shown that. You know, if someone, uh, we, we tend to take on the values of whoever we are around. So we should really be conscious and put ourselves around people whose values we want to emulate and, and, to, and, to, and to emulate the values that we hold in ourselves to others. So that, and, and that way we can we can let this whole benevolent revolution, as, you, as, as I call it, you're right, <laughs> spread. Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks. Yeah. What were you like when you were a little kid, like in kindergarten or like preschool, or have you have you kind of always been the way you are now? Back then. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was I was the oldest child, and I was uh, my mother said that the teachers were always remarked about how cheerful I was, you know, that I was just a, seemed to be a happy kid. And I uh, I think I was lucky in the sense that I was, you know, raised back in the 50s, and I was given a lot of freedom. I could go anywhere I want. There was no, my father never said anything, or you don't go. I used to, as a little kid, I used to walk for miles all over the place, you know, and go anywhere I wanted, everywhere, through the woods, into town, walk around all, all the roads, and it was just, um, there was always a sense, I guess, for me as a kid of living in a sort of a, a happy world and growing up and of course, you know, growing up in the fifties in Concord, Massachusetts and I learned to swim in Walden Pond. It was sort of the, the transcendentalist Thoreau and Emerson and Alcott and the fields and nature, a lot of time in nature and um so I think I was somewhat blessed. My father played the piano, my mother was an artist and, and, and they were both my father especially it was, it was sort of um, he owned a chain of newspapers so he was always expressing himself and writing his editorials and I always talked about the importance of self expression and and uh, being yourself and not um, not being part of the herd, you know, that was a big thing for him. So I think I took on some of those ideas uh, at a deep level, but he, he wasn't so uh, uh, on the outer level anyway um, spiritual. Like I found myself becoming, when I was in college, just really rejecting the Vietnam War and a culture based on violence and war and the domination of women and then I wanted to uh, meditate, you know, so I, a lot more. So then I started, you know, meditating. But I think for me, you know, as a kid growing up, learning to play the piano at an early age and, and being a church organist in high school and sort of just 
doing music and, and getting in nature a lot and being really active uh, and having a, uh, a family that was in nature outside a lot, I think really sort of planted perhaps in me a feeling of, um, of being in a benevolent world. I think that's really important, you know, and even though we weren't vegetarian, when I heard about it, I, it really resonated with me, this idea of, of not harming animals. I think that's a really important aspect also of my upbringing too. Now, my father would never hurt animals. He would never hunt. We had friends who hunted and so forth, but he said, no, 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 I don't want to ever cause any suffering to animals, <laughs> even though we ate meat. But, but there was that sense of you know, not causing suffering to animals. And uh, I think, you know, there's nothing more hideous really for anyone to see someone beating a dog or hurting an animal, a poor innocent animal who can't defend themselves. I mean, why would we do that? And uh, so I think that these values are universal values really for all of us probably, but um, but I think the more we can nurture them in children, uh, the better it is. Hey, you know, you talk about the music that you uh, you learned to play the piano, and uh, you know, Elizabeth and I have talked about your music that it's really cool. Uh, we really like it, and uh, I was I was just you know, music is an incredible form of expression, and I'm wondering if in, in the music that you do, uh, if you actually somehow infuse intuitively or in some way uh, your message. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, when I was in college, I, I had been classically trained. Like I said, I was a church organist. I, I could read music and play. And I just got this whole new feeling that I never wanted to play other people's music anymore. I wanted to compose my own, create my own, improvise. And so that was it. So now for the last uh, 40 years, I've been creating my own music. I've got about 10 albums out of original piano music. And, uh, yeah, it's healing. It's, it's the, the feeling I had with the music from the beginning was that it was a calling from the earth to bring music that would heal the world and, and and that you can touch people through music in ways you can never reach them through words. You know, no one can argue with a D minor chord. You know, they can just feel that feeling. And, uh, you know, anytime I open my mouth and say something, you know, people can all say, oh, I don't believe that. But, you know, as soon as I start playing the piano, I notice anyone, whether they're young or old, Republicans or Democrats, it doesn't matter who, they all, they just kind of, turn their attention within and they start to smile, they start to feel better, you know, they start to feel a connection. I think music is uh, incredible, like you say, it's incredibly powerful healing uh, art and, and the language, really. And um, in fact, when I got my my bachelor, my master's degree at San Francisco State, there was a requirement for the master's degree to, of a foreign language, and I was the first one ever in the University of California system to, um, to make my uh, la- foreign language be music. <laughs> They, Fantastic. Uh, they said, yeah, they said that's a, that is a, it is a language, and uh, so I think you know essentially um, when we you know the veganism and these ideas we're talking about they're more than just intellectual ideas they're really knowings of the heart, and a knowing of the heart is something that can be communicated somehow through music through art through movement perhaps through an inner knowing and I think that's the real the kind of knowing that's most important, the intuitive knowing that comes beyond just rational thinking where we really suddenly know something at a much deeper level. And I think when that happens and people begin to act from this deeper level of knowing, then we create a movement that's much more powerful than if we're just sort of being on the intellectual level with things. Gosh, could you be any smarter? <laughs> so cool. I, I yeah, I love I love conversations with brilliant people 
who bring everything down to a level that you know you can you can actually have a conversation about and understand what it is you're thinking and doing and all of these things because right. a lot of us a lot of us and a lot of the people who listen to our show uh, believe it or not are teenagers and people um, just starting in college and so we have a we have a really big audience like that and so I I love to I love it when somebody is so experienced at things but can really talk to us. Um, for example, we have a question coming in um, to you. It just got tweeted to me. Um, it's in your bio. It says Dharma Master in Zen Tradition, and they said, what is that? And it's got ex- exclamation, exclamation, question mark, question mark. And so without Googling it, <laughs> we can all Google it. But can you explain to our listener what that is? Yeah, the Dharma Dharma in the Zen tradition uh, has to do with, uh, it's a big word, but it means the teachings uh, that lead to enlightenment. It also means the way the universe operates, sort of the, the fundamental principles uh, underlying manifest reality. And so um, after many years of, of studying Zen and living in Zen centers in, in, in this country, uh, as well as in Korea, and and, uh, and going on long retreats and doing a lot of meditation. When I was in Korea, we would sit in, in meditation from like three in the morning till nine o'clock at night. You know, I was in silence for thirty days. I mean, excuse me, for ninety days, um, and, uh, and and meditating a lot. You know, and so and and I and and when this goes on, I think when we practice meditation and intensively, there's a possibility that through that we'll get a glimpse. Uh, of the tr- of the deeper truth that what I am is not an object, you know, what I am is not a thing, uh, a, uh, a form of a body, just a body that was born and will die. That what I am essentially is much more than that. In the sense that what I am is what makes this possible. That what I am is consciousness itself. That is uh, in itself is eternal and infinite, and is of the nature of joy and freedom and wisdom and compassion and so forth. That's my true nature. And, uh, and 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 it's not I'm not a fundamentally separate self. I'm. It's very difficult to put anything into words because words always uh, limit and and uh, and define something which is essentially undefinable and, and unlimitable. <laughs> so we, when we see that that is our true nature, there can be a tremendous sense of joy and understanding and relief and so forth that that can come. And uh, we realize that I'm not on this planet just to try to get for myself and keep away what I want and you know, don't want and so forth. That I'm I'm here to to grow and awaken and, and uh, manifest this understanding and to bless the world. And so um, anyway, so through this training, um, at one point uh, the uh, Zen master, who was sort of the, the overall teacher of the monastery. Uh, and the tradition I was in uh, said that uh, gave me the title of Dharma Master, said that my understanding was not just um, theoretical, but was actually uh, actual. And so that's it's a title, I guess, that just means I'm uh, able to teach uh, meditation, also uh, to do uh, you know to do um, ceremonies and things like weddings and funerals and so forth. If I, if anyone wants me to. But it's uh, it's like kind of the Buddhist equivalent of um, of a priest or something. But it's not just going through a tr- uh, uh, intellectual training. It's actually going through a meditation training as well, and having that take root in one's own consciousness, so that then uh, we're able to not just talk about it, but actually to live this, which is a never-ending 
journey of growth. I mean, I certainly don't feel that I'm in any way completely cooked. You know, I have a long, I have a long way to go. But I think the um, the more we uh, realize at a deeper level the tr- our true nature, uh, the more we naturally feel uh, just a, a deep sense of joy at the at every at the possibility to live another day and express ourselves. But we and we lose this, that old fear of death. You know, that fear that. Or that fear of not having enough, or that fear of being separate, we realize that we're again. It's hard to put into words, but that what we are is so much greater than that. And just to just to see a flower or a bird is enough to bring tears of joy and and happiness. Even though there's a lot of because a lot of people are afraid, you know, if they go vegan, they're going to be unhappy all the time because we're just aware of all the suffering of animals. And there is, and I think that is true for someone who doesn't have a spiritual path that we we can balance that with, uh, and understand also this, the, and feel the, the enormous joy of being, and the precious opportunity of a human life to contribute to healing our world. Um, I, I have a question that's sort of on a personal level to follow up this meditation thing, but I I got to believe that there's other people who are going to relate to this question. That is, you know, I I struggle with meditation. I, my my thought is that if I can empty my mind of all the ridiculous thoughts and noise, that there'll be a, a higher self, the voice of God or of a higher consciousness. I'll be connected to some greater, you know, wisdom or truth or or, or something, a vibration. And but I, I I try to do it, and this I just keep on thinking about the stupid stuff in my life and what I'm going to do tomorrow. And <laughs> can you quickly make any kind of suggestion about how how you deal with this? Right. That's that's basically the experience that everyone has. You know, don't feel don't feel alone in that experience. That that is that's the human condition, especially the human condition for us in our modern world where we're just bombarded from the time we're little infants with uh, television and radio and you know uh, you know ads and, and you know now computers and all this stuff. So our minds are busy and we have so much that we haven't digested. Uh, so that as soon as we sit down to be quiet, everything that hasn't been digested just wants to be digested. You know, it just wants to be chewed on. And and so it's very important to have a regular practice, I would say, like every day, you know, in the morning or whenever is convenient for you where you can be quiet and, and spend an hour or a certain amount of time to practice returning the mind to the present moment. It's just like anything else. It's just practice returning the mind. And then if, if possible to do retreats where... Uh, we can go away for a few days or a week and, and go, go more intensively. It's also very helpful. I did a lot of those in my younger years. I'd go off for two or three weeks or a month and, um, and meditate. And uh, so there's no substitute for practice. It's like if I want to become a great piano player and I'm frustrated because I can't really do very well, it's like, well, practice, <laughs> you know. And uh, and so pra- the practice of meditation, I think, is, is an all-day practice, too. It's, it's when I'm sitting quietly and returning my mind to the present moment. Whatever it is, the practice can be like watching my breath or just listening quietly. And the mind will go somewhere and just to bring it back. And just to be patient, like a mother cat who has little kittens and they always run off and she just brings them back, brings them back, that kind of idea. And then, um, and then during the day, to be fully focused on whatever I'm doing is also very helpful. And to slow down as much as possible so that... Uh, I'm paying attention to what I'm doing, and to just keep uh, keep uh, in a meditative state throughout the day as much as possible, and then take time at uh, uh, certain times during the day. In the morning and the evening is probably the best, if possible, or in the middle of the day, 
to just uh, stop for a minute and just bring our mind to the present moment, smile, and just remember uh, the truth that what I am is not just this thing, this activity, but I am the source of this, and to be open to that and to understand that. And really, I think as this permeates our being more and more, we'll naturally find that we're the 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 uh, fer- frenetic activity of our mind begins to reduce. It's very important to eat foods that are uh, that are balanced. <clears throat> That's one of the things. And it's very important to not to engage in behaviors that harm others. That's one of the main reasons people have a hard time meditating in our society. Eating meat and dairy really makes it hard to meditate because we're bringing in all the... I, call, I have a whole chapter in the whole piece diet on the metaphysics of food because we're bringing not just physical toxins like dioxin and PCBs and hormones and all these thin heavy metals and nuclear radiation. All that is, is in animal-based foods a lot. But we're also eating frustration and fear and despair and sadness. These animals are experiencing terrible emotional states constantly and they die in horrible terror and, and dairy cows with tremendous frustration and, and sadness. And so when we're, we're eating that, if we're, if we're sensitive at all, uh, as, as many meditation teachers have taught, Thich Nhat Hanh, a great meditation teacher, said, if, we're, if you're eating chicken or eggs, you're eating frustration. If you're eating frustration, you're going to express frustration. And the mind's going to be frustrated. So we have to, that's one of the most important things, to eat vegetables and grains that are lovingly grown as much as possible, and uh, fruits and so forth. And then our mind will be happier, will be more at peace, and uh, and then to act in a way that's in integrity in our lives so that we're not uh, chewing on things. Uh, all these things are important and will all make us more quiet. And also to be careful about the media that we're taking in. You know, we're saturated. I never watched te- I have not had a television in 40 years either. I mean, I, no I think, way. You know, be, uh, really? You have no yeah, Netflix? Yeah. Not, no. <laughs> I mean, we don't have any wow. of that. Awesome. So, you know, it's um it's so much easier to have wow. one's own thoughts and to live one's own life, yeah. you know, and to, to to kind of be very careful about the media. The media has so many barbs in it. It's hooking you all the time. That's people are paid, you know, millions of dollars to create things that are going to hook people's minds and pull us in and to get them to get us to buy certain products or to look at the world in a certain way. So it's very important, I think, to guard. We used to say at the farm in Tennessee, to guard your gourd. You know, guard your brain. <laughs> Be careful of what we read, what we uh, watch, what we're aware of, what we're eating, all these things, and and really purify our consciousness so that we're able to uh, rest in our true home. You know, our true home of love, joy, compassion, peace, and harmony and freedom. And 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 rest in that place and, and work from that place and be um, and, and send out you know create create our own. That's why I love the internet in the sense is that instead of just being a few networks and you had to buy their stuff, now we can everybody can create their own network. If you're creating your own network, <laughs> and it can be focused on that and focused on kindness and compassion and and radiate that out into the world. And when people hear these ideas, it can open their minds and hearts to another way of uh, of being that they wouldn't get otherwise. It's very important. Totally agree. Uh, um, I s- prepare for an Elizabeth ramble for two seconds here. Wal- Walter, are you ready? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know you're like, oh no. Um, when I was a kid, I was I was raised in Iowa, and um, my parents used to do the commercials for um, a farm, and um, we got invited over as a family one time to a pig roast, and I nearly died. I could not believe they took a whole pig and dig- did that to him, and people were just. Standing around with this pig roasting, and I just 
I, I think since that moment at about maybe age 11, I have just I just can't eat that at all. I mean, I can't eat ham. I can't eat. Mm. I just can't stand it. Um, and that image always comes to mind, and I just. Ugh. Um, right. However, so here's the however, and I don't think I'm alone in this. I think a lot of people are this way. People, people. Why do people pick and choose their meat? Like, I'll eat chicken, but not a hamburger. Or I'll eat, you know, like. So I see that right. image, and I'm thinking to myself, Oh my God, I'll eat. I, I. And I'll tell you, you know, I live on a chicken fajita, you know. Okay, great. But I, but what's gagging me more and more, um, in addition to that image, I cannot get that image out of my mind from a few years back where they showed all that pink stuff in the ground meat. I just, I can't right. eat hamburger anymore either. It's just like, oh, uh. <laughs> So I'm down to kind of basically eating chicken, and I'm allergic to fish and shellfish anyway. So I'm like a chicken eater. And even that now is becoming like, oh, gross. Um, as I see more and more of what they do, why do people pick and choose their meats like that? Explain my own behavior to me, please, because I know I am not alone. People say that all the time. Girls will go, oh, I don't eat red meat, but I'll eat chicken or fish. Right. Yeah, but basically, I know we're maybe getting close to running out of time, but I just uh, yeah. briefly um, would say that this is something that's universal. We human beings uh, are able to compartmentalize our awareness so that we can include some beings within the sphere of our compassion and very easily exclude others from the sphere of our compassion and kindness. And uh, when I was in Korea, for example, uh, I went to the markets in Seoul where they had dogs in cages and cats in cages, and they were people were buying them and in, in, in making dog stew, killing them and themselves very often, and, oh. and eating them like you're talking about with the pigs. And 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 it was funny in a sense. I mean, if I because I know if I talk to someone here in this country and they say, well, I just couldn't give up chicken, or I couldn't give up beef, and I'd say, well, could you give up eating dog? And they'd look at me like, what are you crazy? I would never eat dog. But I remember being in Korea and talking to someone, and they said, well, he couldn't give up dog, but he wouldn't have any hard time giving up beef. You know, <laughs> he said, I wouldn't eat a cow. That's terrible. But eating dogs, that's we all do that. So you know, it's very much all about. Uh, our cultural upbringing. You know, we're taught. No one would think on their own of drinking the mammary secretions of another animal. You know, who would ever think of drinking milk from a dog or a, another animal? But since we're forced into it from the time we're little infants to eat chicken or to drink cow's milk, we compartmentalize on that, and we do it because we're following orders. That's the reason. We're, we just do it because we're following orders. And so what veganism is about essentially is questioning the orders, realizing that they are not in the best interest, not only of the chickens, they're not in the best interest of us either, to hurting everyone. And and then following higher orders, you know, orders that come from our heart, from our intuition, from our wisdom, and trusting those instead of being just pushed around by a cultural programming that's destroying everything, uh, to be guided by my own inner wisdom, and then I have something I can trust really trust, you know, and, and uh, my, then my life is built on a solid foundation. You know, I, 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 I just want to mention, because we are running out of time, I want people to know about, you know, to I reiterate, World Peace Diet is a book that people should read, whether they want to make an investment in a vegan diet or not. This is a book about world peace, about changing the whole mentality of violence and aggression and war. And then you have a companion book, that's out recently called Circles of Compassion, which you put together essays from a whole bunch of people who are also kind of talk about all of these issues uh, that are really important. Uh, so uh, maybe you want to say another word or two about that. Thank you, Walter. Sure. Briefly, uh, yeah, our website is worldpeacediet.com, and the World Peace Diet is 
uh, yeah, it was a number one Amazon bestseller in 2010, and it's now been translated into about 14 or 15 languages worldwide. It's still spreading. It's selling more, I think, every year. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an excellent book, I think, in terms of just understanding the deeper structure of our society. The Circles of Compassion book, which is brand new, just came out like this year, or January, um, is uh, I'm the editor of that. It's on intersectionality, which is basically the connection between injustices, in other words, injustice. So speciesism, which is injustice towards animals, and the connection between with that and racism, sexism, heterosexism, ageism, classism, ableism, and so forth, and how uh, we can create a society of justice, uh, but really the foundation of that is justice for all living beings, for animals. And, uh, yeah, so those are available on Amazon or, or from us or whatever, yeah. Perfect. All right, we're into record mode, so that means we're out of time. <laughs> and I know Dr. Uh, Walter has patience, and I'm sure you have a busy life as well. But um, right. I, I really just want to thank you so much for giving us an hour of your day and time and life and being with us and sharing this with our listeners here at Best Ever You. Very important topic, and I just really appreciate your insight into everything. Great. Right. Well, I think you guys did fantastic. It was a great interview. Great job, really. Oh, thanks. Yeah, but couldn't have, <laughs> couldn't have done it without you. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, you're, you know, the other day we said that Pam Popper's uh, show was like uh, one of the best ever, but you, 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 you topped it, buddy. Uh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great, great. All right. Have a beautiful day. Thanks Thanks to, to you both. We'll be in touch. Right. Great. Take care. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. that was, so that's Dr. Will Tuttle, and you can visit his website at worldpeace.com. And um, we're going to take just a little bit of a break and come back to you on Thursday, March 19th, with Dr. Ivan Miser as a guest. I'm very excited about that. And um, Meis- I think it's Meisner, actually. Sorry, I think I just misspoke, but Dr. Ivan Meisner. And uh, he's going to be here for the full hour live with us on March 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Dr. Walter. And uh, I hope you all have a beautiful day. Thank you so much, and thank you to Dr. Will. Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.